Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the 103rd episode of Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. When we, were, when we were with you last, we were keeping an eye on a tropical depression moving into the Gulf of Mexico. And now, two weeks later, we've witnessed the fury of Hurricane Ida, not only along the Gulf Coast, but also uh, some of the destruction left up in the Northeast. Thankfully, most of the southern cotton crop managed to get a little watering without too much damage. And certainly a lot of cotton growers are thankful for that. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower. And as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor, Frank Giles. Frank, what's new today? Oh, not too much. I guess, you know, everybody had their eyes on Hurricane Ida here. And like you said, it was fortunate that it didn't do more, that it didn't do a lot of damage to cotton. Uh, There is a little tropical wave or disturbance that's going to make its way across uh, the Gulf in Florida this week, uh, but that doesn't appear to be anything other than just a sloppy, sloppy blob of tropics, so hopefully that's the case. Well, let's, let's hope so, because, you know, obviously after, after Ida came through, we caught up with some consultants and some university specialists over the past week. Um, and obviously, with the exception of a few last-minute insect treatments, it's looking like this year's crop is pretty much moving into the home stretch, heading toward defoliation and harvest. Uh, the exception, of course, being those parts of coastal and, and southern Texas where pickers have been running for a week or more uh, at this point, simply because they're always, uh, they're always the first in the field and, and the first out of the field. Uh, and as harvest approaches for the rest of the cotton belt, so does the need to make sure that uh, harvesters are well-maintained, clean, and prepared to handle any in-field emergencies. And, and today, we're going to talk primarily about equipment fires and how to manage and hopefully prevent some of those costly in-field disasters. So joining us today in the Virtual Cotton Companion Studio is Stephen Monaco. He's the owner of First Fire Safety and an expert in fire management in a number of markets and the developer of fire detection and suppression systems for cotton pickers and strippers. And he's going to be with us to talk about how these systems work and why he got involved in the cotton industry. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. So let's get started with the latest news from the cotton industry. Frank? Yeah, other than Hurricane Ida, it has been pretty quiet on the news front recently. We normally would bring you the latest crop crop progress report from USDA, but with Labor Day, that report was pushed back a day and after the recording session. But you can find the weekly report at cottongrower.com and on our social media pages, Facebook and Twitter. We do have one item to share and hope you'll consult your calendars to participate. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is kicking off a series of grower enrollment webinars on Tuesday, September 14th at 8 a.m. Central Time. A second session this month is scheduled for Wednesday, September 29th, also at 8 a.m. Central Time. Attendees will learn how the trust protocol helps growers meet end-user customer demand by documenting and verifying sustainability practices and advances that most growers have already incorporated into their farming operations. The webinar will also detail how the program enables growers to prove their sustainability stewardship and drive commitment to continuous improvement. Webinar registration is available online at trustuscotton.org. So be sure to sign up today and share the info with friends and other growers in your area who also might be interested. 
If you have questions, please reach out to the Grower Help Desk via email at growers at trustuscotton.org. You can also find these links in the Trust Protocol webinar article currently posted on cottongrower.com. And we want to give a shout out to another valuable and informative cotton industry podcast, the Modern Cotton Story podcast from the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program by BASF. Our friends Jennifer Crumpler and Bob Antoshak produce a weekly look at the cotton industry, primarily targeted to U.S. cotton's downstream audience of brands and retailers. They are continuing a series focused on editors and authors in cotton, and their most recent episode featured our very own Jim Stedman to discuss Cotton Grower and its multiple brands and activities. Well, and, and that, uh, obviously, it's, it's one of those the situations where I was, I was obviously humbled and, and happy to participate uh, because Jennifer and Bob do a great job with their podcast and, and their audience is, uh, is much further, primary audience is much further up the line uh, in the supply chain than, uh, than the traditional cotton grower audience. But I had, it was just a little bit of intimidation on, on their part, I think, from this because they just started uh, their uh, editors and authors in cotton segments. Uh, I was number three in line, and that was following um, Laura Husband, who's managing editor of JustStyle.com, which is one of the leading textile and apparel journals based in the UK. So you had this very nice young lady with you know a, a glorious English accent uh, answering the questions, and then just immediately before uh, before the segment with uh, that I was involved in, they interviewed uh, Maxine Bidet who's the author of a book called Unraveled, The Life and Death of a Garment. And she has a very distinguished background in environmental work. So, you know, it's really kind of, I felt like those might be two tough acts to follow, or maybe they were just decided it was time to, uh, to pull somebody with more of a Southern accent back in. But either way, it was a great conversation. Uh, I certainly urge people to, uh, to see if you can find it and take a listen to it. Uh, not just the segment with me, obviously, but from all the other segments, they've got, there's a whole series there to uh, to participate in. Well, you know, as, as I have told you many times during various cotton field days, that you are outstanding in a field. <laughs> yeah, old joke. We need we need <laughs> we need we need rim shot. Very good. Well, you can find the Modern Cotton Story podcast on both Instagram and Facebook by looking up their handle at e three sustainable cotton. And that is three, the numeral not uh, spelled out, E3 Sustainable Cotton. Well, hopefully we can get Jennifer and Bob to join us here on the Cotton Companion sometime soon. Jennifer has been on before. Uh, Bob's a longtime friend. Uh, the E3 uh, Sustainable Cotton Program is certainly a, uh, a great program that, uh, that BASF has put in place working with uh, the end users in the cotton industry. Uh, and and we'd like, it's probably time to get them back on and talk about the program and, and where it stands at this point. So hopefully we can, we can make that happen here sometime soon. And now it's time to get to our topic of the day. And Frank, I'll let you introduce our guest and get this discussion started. Yeah, we have a special guest today, uh, and it's all focused on safety. Uh, Stephen Monaco, who is the uh, owner of First Fire Safety, is going to come join us and talk about fire safety. Steve? Welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Great, great. Yeah, but before we jump into the discussion, um, 
I'm sure cotton is not the only in industry that first fire safety is involved in. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the company and how it all got started. You know, this company, I started back in 2014 here in Austin, Texas. And no, we, we do a whole bunch of different kinds of, of fire systems. A lot of the traditional stuff that you'll see out there, kitchen fire systems for McDonald's and fire sprinkler systems and fire alarms and fire hydrants. Um, it's kind of every, everything fire safety related we do here in Austin. We do about 8,000 accounts. Uh, inside of this company, there's what we call a specialty division. It's engineered fire systems, uh, specialty fire systems for special hazards where you can't really accomplish the, the goal with anything that's on a shelf or in a box. Um, so traditional fire systems work for, for most, most things, but there are these things out there like a cotton harvester where you know, the, the tools that we normally keep in our, our tool case that just, just can't work to put that fire out. Good deal. So that's when it gets real interesting and all the guys kind of get to work on, on figuring out the best way to mitigate the, the risk of losing one of these machines or somebody getting hurt. Absolutely. It's an expensive piece of equipment. So, well, you know, just to get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about what causes a fire in a cotton picker or a cotton stripper. Um, just some of the causal factors. It can be a little bit complicated because we we stretch across the entire world of, you know, where these guys do it, but I'll kind of cover some of the, the basic, more common things. And cotton, uh, fires on, on cotton harvest is not a new, uh, new thing at all. It, uh, there's still been a lot of fires on the the old style basket pickers the the big difference there was what happens when you catch on fire so it used to be when you catch on fire you just dump all the cotton over the side of the machine and you carry along with your day now the round baler which is an incredible machine and it's a, a a marvel of engineering the problem or i guess the the disadvantage there is you're carrying a lot of cotton on the inside of that. And when it does catch on fire, it takes a little while to get it out of the machine. Uh, it's not the type of thing where you could just eject it. Uh, it. It'll take you about two and a half minutes to get it out of there. And I'm sure you guys can imagine how, how bad things can get two and a half minutes of a raging fire. Um, could, could be the difference in that machine. If you lose certain components of it, if, if certain wires get burned up or sensors, the whole machine will just shut down on you. And then you're kind of stuck where you can't, can't get it out of there. But the things that cause the majority of the fires that we see, they're the real common things. And whenever we train operators, we spend a lot of time on prevention. Uh, and we're finding that the more time we spend on that, even the common sense stuff goes a really long way. If something's leaking on one of those machines, it's probably flammable. So we say if, if you see something leaking, you fix it right away. Uh, if if when these guys are, are stripping in the field, if it's dragging brush on the front in your header, you know, that that can cause a fire. So it's worth the time to to stop and go pull that pull that out. Um, Flint rocks coming through the burr extractor there can, can cause a fire. 
there's there's a good good number of and then you know the the traditional uh things bearings rubbing and and regular engine compartment fires that we see on every piece of heavy uh machinery uh, are always a risk it, it's really most of the fires start in between the header and the burr extractor in the front of the machine but people don't pick up on it until it's inside of the accumulator there once it's in the accumulator it really turns into a raging fire people that tell me well i've never had a fire on my cotton stripper i say no you've had a fire i guarantee it it just put itself out so every one of these machines has probably been had cotton on fire in it uh most of them get put out as it loads into the baler or they'll eject it out before they even know i know environment plays a role too in these arid when you get into these arid uh, environments and certainly out west you have that but even even in the southeast and mid-south you know during the fall it can get get pretty dry here too oh yeah and we see more static electricity in, in certain regions and there's a there's a lot of, of variables in in here and we say the, the one thing that that you know should always be the same is the the prevention tips cleaning out the machine every day you know unpacking stuff from areas where where it can get caught you know if, if guys spend an extra five minutes a day just kind of uh, being cognizant that that fire fire safety is is a big part of their preventative maintenance, then it, it can go a really long way. Good deal. And you, you you touched on this a little bit, but just how often do they occur in like the the fire that actually makes it into the accumulator and maybe maybe even makes the local news that night? Uh, how often did those occur? Well, the, those fires when. The thing about it is uh, even a small uh, smoldering fire inside of the accumulator in the right conditions. So on a, a stripper, there's a lot more dust in the air. Um, there's a, it, it's easy for that smolder to jump up into a flame. And once it does turn into a flame, there's a blower inside of that accumulator that just gets it going. Like you wouldn't believe really fast. Trick on this machine is is picking up on the fire as early as you can because if you pick up on it early enough, you could probably just wrap it and dump it and get it out of there without without having to use fire suppression at all. Uh, what we found works really good is inside of the accumulator, we install heat detectors. Uh, their thermocouple is what we use, uh, and there's a, a pyrometer inside of the cabinet. It's always telling the operator what temperature it is inside of the accumulator. And once a guy gets familiar with how that machine behaves normally and when the sun hits it and when the engine heats up what the temperatures are, are like when they're normal conditions they'll know when something's abnormal and at 172 degrees if if that accumulator reaches that temperature a fire alarm will go off uh this would alert the guy that hey we're on fire inside of the accumulator, but it's not that that big of a deal. At 172, it's still smoldering. If they shut off their blower and just wrap it and dump it, probably about 75% of the time, they just get it right out of the machine without even having to turn on the fire suppression system. So what we tell guys is when you do realize you're on, you're on fire, is spend a few seconds and kind of come up with a plan because there are no two fires on this machine that are exactly the same. Uh, but in a lot of cases, what we've experienced is people are able to just wrap it and dump it and get it out of there as long as they pick up on that fire early enough. Steve, let me let me ask you a question. Now, we, we, we've got the, the heat detector and everything in there. And so the, the operator is getting an early warning system. 
tell us how from that point, if they have to activate the system, how does that suppression system work at that point? So the way that this all works is on a normal fire system on a garbage truck, let's say we, we put in automatic fire systems. So the, what it's, it's always trying to go off and these heat detectors are, are hanging on to a stainless steel cable and it's kind of preventing it from going off until they get hot enough, they melt and it goes off. This system is a lot different because we wanted that low threshold for the, the fire alarm. We kind of set it up to where it's a manual system. So the fire alarm system and the fire suppression system are not linked together. So whenever that fire alarm goes off, the guy has to make a decision. If he wants to set off the fire system, he would just get out of the cab right on the side of the, the deck there, right whenever you exit the cab, there's a series of valves. One valve will set the system off through the fixed nozzles that are installed throughout the machine. Uh, and those kind of just get to all the places that you can't easily get to uh, from the outside. There's another valve, if they decide to charge that valve, it, it charges up the fire hose. So there's a, a one inch fire hose on the front of this machine that we have that most of the time guys, guys are able to put out any size fire with that fire hose. Good deal. And, and just talk about a little bit about, you know, the, you've engaged the, the fire protection. Uh, and you said most times people are able to turn out, uh, uh, get the fire put out. So these systems really can help save a piece of equipment uh, from, from major damage, it sounds like. Oh yeah, you know, and then these these it's kind of important to know, you know, what what the what you're trying to do. And again, we we do every kind of fire system that that exists. We do halon fire systems and dry chemical fire systems. And for this machine in particular, the only thing I would ever use is a, a foam system. And I tell people there's a big difference between. Uh, what we put on is called a compressed air foam system or a, a calf system. Instantly, it's the same thing we put on a fire truck. Um, a compressed air foam system runs at about 20 times expansion. So we'll make 1,200 gallons of foam coming out of that tank that we have on the front of that machine. And foam on cotton is about three times better than water. Uh, at putting out that fire, acting as a wetting agent. So we say it's like the equivalent of 3,600 gallons of water on board. Uh, it's enough to, to cover that machine five times over to where you wouldn't see any green on it. Excellent. Well, speaking of green, I know, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the, the new John Deere uh, series of cotton pickers and strippers that's coming. Uh, have, will your system be set up to operate on these new new machines? The, the system with kind of minor adaptations to, to some of these changes. Uh, we'll have this system available for pickers, strippers, um, and every machine going forward. Very good. Real, real quickly, how difficult is it to get this system installed on one of these, uh, one of these pieces of equipment? Not that bad. I, I tell people usually uh, it'll, take, it'll take us more time to train the operators. We won't come put one on unless we also train the operator on it. And, and the reason why I, I, I say having a trained operator on site when the fire breaks out with good firefighting equipment is as good as having the fire department there. Um, 
So we'll, we'll put it on. It only takes us a few hours to install one of these, but then we, we spend a lot of time training guys on how to use a fire hose, how to shoot with foam. Cause a lot of these farmers, believe it or not, have a lot of experience in, in firefighting, but shooting foam is, is a whole lot different. And when you're working with a finite amount of chemical out there, it makes a difference with these, these guys being able to be accurate. And this hose pushes out at 200 PSI. So it will knock you right over if you're not careful. But I tell people this, there's a good reason why. If you ever see a regular old firefighter, there's two guys manning the hose. And the reason why is you have to have that knockdown power. If you want to put out a module that's on fire, you can do it easily. Uh, keeping it out would be another, another story. But with the right amount of knockdown power, I tell people it's like blowing out a birthday candle. You could blow on it all day and nothing will happen. But if you hit it with the right amount of force, it goes right out. Uh, cotton acts a lot the same way. So we have it set up to where, you know, you could really beat a fire down real quick. Uh, but, you know, the first time a guy uses that fire hose, we don't want it to be when they're on fire. We want them good and trained. Uh, the other good thing about this system for us is we, and the thing that's different than a normal system that we put on is we set it up to where the operator could refill it on their own out in the field. It probably costs you 20 bucks to refill it. We we supply the chemical for free forever. We kind of have a deal with all the farmers out there. We'll give them the chemical for free forever, but every time they have a fire, they call and we talk about it and where the fire started, how it got put out. And we, we go through and check the, the heat detectors and make sure everything's working right. And it kind of keeps us in tune with what's going on out there in the real world. And that, and that leads me to, to, I guess, my last question on this. Some of your customers, if they've had, when they've had a fire, what have they, what type of things have they told you about it? What, you know, what have they, what have they told the company in terms of, gee, thanks, or this worked, or, or we had a problem with this, or, or, you know, what kind of feedback, types of feedback do you get? Uh, we've learned a lot over, over the years, but every single fire has been put out, um, and, We've, we've gotten better each time, and we, the commitment to this was we'll kind of run around and make all these updates once a year, you know, as we learn new things. I think by now we have it pretty dialed in. In the beginning, I, I was really limited. We would only do 10 of these a year or something because we truly didn't know um, nearly enough to just kind of open the gates wide open. Nowadays, we have this thing pretty dialed in. We know exactly what we want to have out there. And we didn't just rush out, out to the market with it. Okay. And another, just couple of really quick things. If you hear a lot of questions that, that people have, um, a lot of times people ask, well, what's the chemical that we use? Uh, there's been a lot of concern lately about there's a certain kind of firefighting foam called AFFF that is now known to cause cancer. We tell people we use a, a different, foam altogether. It's called an A-class foam. It's vegetable-based. You could eat it. It's safe to spray in a field. I know that farmers are real concerned about what they're spraying out there on their out in the field. So that that's important to know. And the, the thing that I tell people to be wary of is any kind of fire system on this machine that relies on the engine to be running or a hydraulic pump or something like that, those those can kind of get you hung up a little bit. Regular fire systems, it's always mechanical 
uh, really simple ball valves, high pressure cylinders, things like that, that, that operate in the worst of conditions. Um, so that this, our system doesn't rely on the machine to be on or running or solenoid valves or wiring or power. It's just on or off. Um, and that, that's how just regular fire systems are. Sounds good. Well, like I said, this is this sort of feels like a good place to end today's discussion. And and Stephen, we certainly we certainly thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to join us today on the Cotton Companion. We appreciate that and, and and appreciate the information. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us. And that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, Sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The Cotton Companion Podcast comes to you twice monthly is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, his name's Frank Giles, and we'll be back with you in two weeks with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works.